Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Hello, this is Elizabeth Dale Phillips. My book, Have She Known Will Travel? The Story of 12 Bluebells Touring Italy in 1960 will be released September 28th. It can be purchased from Amazon and other sites and in the US can be ordered from your local independent bookstore. My book is a pretty accurate record of one period with one troupe of Bluebell girls. And I see the Bluebells Forever podcast as a similar record, but encompassing so much more. It's a Bluebell treasury. So when patron membership in the podcast was first offered, I snapped it up. I didn't think twice. Of course, I wanted to support the project. And my cup runneth over. Not only do I feel virtuous for supporting the podcast, I also get to enjoy bonus material. The Circle Back, where twice a month, Sherry re-interviews one of her earlier podcast guests. Sherry and her guest, now very comfortable with each other, build on the first interview. Maybe new areas, maybe a deeper dive. Can be surprising, offbeat, jaw-dropping, always fascinating. Then comes Showgirl in Training, where I learn once a month what it takes to be a cabaret dancer in 2021. Hard work. That too is fascinating. And once a month, I get to join Sherry and Anne Green in Happy Hour. Short videos where two very good friends, who also happen to be two very bright, funny women, sit in a garden and chat about their lives in the theatre. So there you have it. Lots of reasons to become a patron. Bye. Yes, this is Samantha oh, Sage. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, I think you've commented on things on Bluebells Forever and you had so many great um, photos. And then when I talked to you in like our messaging that you were a stagehand and were, you were part, is that the actual technical term of what you would, were yes. stagehand? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, those, those are the stories we want to hear because we have our stories of on stage. I love talking to someone who was in the lighting booth. We talked to um, costume design and wardrobe. But we're going to get into this a little bit why it's so unique to have a female stage hand back in that time. So we just talked a little bit before we recorded. I'm like, oh, your story is so fun and unique in a different angle from what a lot of us know of the shows. Because I don't know how many of us, I know a lot of us knew stage hands. We paid attention to some of it, but we were running around like crazy people in costume changes. And now I love to go back and like really see the magic of what made everything work. But you got to see that. And make it um, happen. Yeah. Make it happen, yeah. Because if it didn't happen, we would be. <laughs> it wouldn't be the show. So welcome. Thanks for doing this. And I, I have to tell the audience. Thank you for you having me. It's super fun to get like different perspective. And uh, I have to say that Samantha has a Stardust sign in the background on her Zoom with a Lido sign, and I got emotional seeing that because to me that was one of the most iconic signs in Vegas. And I know it's in the neon graveyard, but. Just seeing on that, I think there's been some posts of some backstage um, from the Stardust and people have been showing that sign and it, it just brings up a different kind of a body memory just to see that. So, you know, I've got my regular house in the background. I should probably get a more fun background. But anyway, it's just fun to talk to you about the Stardust with the Stardust sign and the Lido sign in the back. So we, we worked on this this morning. My husband went and figured out how to do that because I'm clueless. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. You're just saying like Zoom, like nobody knew this was a thing a while ago. And so we're figuring it out and figuring out headphones and 
how to make it all work. So I would love to hear like how you ended up there as far as like where you grew up and, you know, do you start out wanting to be a performer or the, how you got drawn to the stage from the stage that you saw, not the stage that those of us were dancing on? Well, gosh, um, I always loved going to plays. I had eight years of ballet as a kid and folk dancing and gymnastics. And my mother was a major Hollywood musical lover. So I had that. I loved to sing. I did a lot of singing. And so I had all of that kind of in my gut and soul. And I went off to college and um, I wanted to get my a theater degree and I needed to take technical theater courses and stagecraft and all of that, as well as put in time as a student um, uh, stagehand where you come in and sweep up sawdust and clean out paint brushes. And also I auditioned for a lot of the plays. I did musicals, I did tap dancing, I did singing, I did drama. So the theater was just like kind of always there in me. And after uh, that college, I wanted to go to the University of Minnesota. And so I got into the Bachelor of Arts degree, Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. And um, a friend of mine, when I left the Northern Bay Area College said, if Minnesota doesn't work out for you, go try your luck in Vegas because the union has opened up for women and minorities. And this was like late seventies. So lo and behold, Minnesota did not work out. Mm. I did well in school, but not well with other stuff. So I came back and I decided I wanted to go to Vegas. So I packed up my car with 10 cans of minestrone soup and a can opener, a a change of clothes and my pouch of tools and lists of people to call and I had some cash and so I hopped in my car and I drove to Vegas and that was that because it's like I want to be in the theater and I had taken acting classes but while I was in Minnesota I realized you know what these actors they get picked because they're blonde or they're tall or they're this or they're that I would be much better off if I chose a practical area, like being a technician. I can wire things, I can rig things, I can have a steady job. So that's what I'm going to do. And so I headed down to Vegas and that was that. So when you were in the school for this, was it, were you learning like electrical? You were learning, how much much did they actually teach you to get you ready for this? They throw you on a show and say, here you go. Oh, really? They teach you as you go. I learned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we learned how to rig, how to wire, how to set up lights, how to move sets, how to build sets, all of it. Yeah. So it's not like a practical so, lecture. It is all learn it as you go. Make your mistakes and yep. learn while you go. Yep. Wow. Yeah. There's yep. no theory that's going to prepare you for what you're going to be doing. Well, you can read all about it, but until I throw you on a show and it's like, uh, well, we need somebody on the spotlight. Well, I've never run a follow spot before. Well, get up there and figure it out. Okay. And it was, a, it was a carbon arc spotlight. 
way, they don't use them now. They use xenon lamps. But back in that day, it was two carbon arcs that would come together and ignite and create this huge light and be reflected on a parabolic mirror. And that's what you use to, to light up people on stage. Oh my gosh. The fact that I only understood like four of those words. <laughs> so you, you had said something before recorded and you had said that like the stage, you felt it in your heart, your soul, maybe, maybe you're being, because I think a lot of dancers yeah. will say they, they, they love the stage that much for being on it, but to hear someone who loves the stage, how, you know, the stage, it was really beautiful to hear that. It's not just a technical, um, functional, just kind of thing. There's a passion for what oh, the stage represents to you. Oh yeah, it's church. It's really it's sacred ground. It's sacred ground for me. It always was from my very first little recital as a ballerina dancer. You know, it was like, oh, this is a big stage. It's wonderful. And I get to be on it and do my little recital. And, and then when I went on and had, in college we had, the technical training, but I was also in a lot of shows and musicals and dramas. And so I was getting it from both sides Yeah, and learning the, the sacredness of, of acting and dancing and singing and presenting, but also what you have to do to make all of that happen from backstage too. So it was just total within all of me, all of it. Mm. Yeah, loved every. That's really beautiful because you, as a performer, you know why it matters, and then as a as the yeah. stage because I, I've seen dancers who like I have a studio and we do our show. It's nothing fancy. We just ran a high school, but like the like the choreographers will sometimes sit next to the lighting designer and they'll ask for things that aren't possible. They don't speak the language, <laughs> and it takes more time to say no. So what I tell them is like, you know what, this lighting director is amazing. If you just let her do her thing you'll be happy. But when they're like, let's try purple. And they don't, they don't know. And then so people that do go on and learn it, they come on and they're better choreographers. They're better um, directors because they, they see the whole picture where sometimes people come in as an artist and like, we'll just make this happen. But the communication between the two is really lacking sometimes, or, you know, there's stagehands mm -hmm. that could think that dancers are idiots and then dancers who really think they're supposed to make, make it all about them. So I don't want to get into the egos of the theater. You probably saw some of that, but it is interesting when you have both perspectives, you speak yeah. both languages and you understand the importance of both. And that's that magic that it takes. You have a kitty. You have a kitty. Oh yeah. My, my cat running up the ladder. He waits <laughs> until I'm recording and then we'll like, it's time to climb the ladder he's, just to show off. He's your producer. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it, it really, it really was um, interesting because the, the technicians, the stagehands, would always complain actors and the actors would say oh, they're just texts what do they know you know but being on both sides of that it's like well you both know a lot and you need to work together a little better here you know it yeah. was it was a very interesting 360 degree perspective to do all of that and wow. And it continued at the Stardust too. Yeah. So before we get into getting the Stardust, like you said that it just opened up for females and people uh, like of different, how did you say, what did you say? What would they say in the 70s? Minorities. 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 Okay, I'm trying to think the language. Is Minorities. Changes. Yeah. So that was a big deal. Um, but for the union, like, I know it's different, like if you're doing a union house or not, but that must have been a great pull because what do you, what is the benefit of being a union stage 
manager, uh, stage, my words aren't working for me right now, well, stage and. That's okay. Nevada was a right to work state. I think it still is. And so it wasn't necessary to join the union. But if you were part of the union, you had benefits, you could have retirement, you had all kinds of, you know, good things. And so the hotels had to have a certain quota of minorities that they hired. And so they had two African-American people. And when I came along, it was like, okay, here's another one to add to the quota. And before I was able to join the union, I had to establish residency in Nevada because I had just packed up and moved there. And uh, so that took like a year and a half. And then I had to go through the training of the union because they offer classes and you have to learn all the union rules and all of that. So it took like a couple of years before I was finally able to be a sister of the union, but I got there, but they were still able to hire me as a minority, so to speak, if you will. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so now we have to get to the fact that you've shown up in Vegas with, I don't know how many cans of soup you still have at this time. Ten. <laughs> so you made, you made that drive without soup. And I'm trying to think, Ben, in the 70s, it wasn't like there was drive throughs So a female just driving by herself. And no pull tops. Oh, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, that, that, didn't... <laughs> that didn't bother. You, I said you were a badass at theater. So when you get there uh, and you had some names to look up and then a place to at least start to know how to start looking for work? Well, I, I went down to the union hall and I had a couple of uh, names of people to contact. And my friend said, uh, bring, bring all of your proof of work receipts from all the theaters that you've worked in, either as a student or the Guthrie Theater in Minnesota or wherever, and show that to them. Because if you have 2000 hours proof of work, you can get in on the A-list a lot quicker. And so I did. And so I went and talked to people and I showed them all my theater receipts. And I said, here I am, I'm a theater student and here's my receipts, I've worked. So they said, okay, go get a pager. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> Definitely, we know what decade this is now. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, so where do I get one of those? And so I went and got one. Um, but my first night in town was at a very undesirable part of town and uh, got out of there the next day and went and got a studio little place. And I took the pager and I, I sat there with my 10 cans of soup and the pager <laughs> and waited for a phone call. And four days later, I got the call. So I got really lucky. I mean, the universe was just looking out for me. Thank you, universe. So, yeah, I got really lucky. Yeah. So what was that I first gig? What was, what was, yeah. Like, oh, the, <laughs> well, they said, okay, you're going to go to the MGM Graham to hello, Hollywood. Hallelujah. Hollywood. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. I get the Hollywoods mixed up mm -hmm. and then there's Jubilee too. I, I, um, so I showed up and it, in those days they have what they call the bouncing through the union. So if you are sick and you can't make it to work, you call the union hall and the union hall will call out somebody else who is available to work and they will show up and do your cues. And so every stagehand has a set of cues that they follow and they keep it with the stage manager. So when somebody new comes in, they get that set of cues and they follow them 
and they do the show. Well, nobody told me I had to show up in black. So I ended up in a pink shirt and jeans and sandals. <laughs> and they were not real happy with me. So they sent me down to the basement. Instead of working up on stage where this particular set of cues were supposed to be, they switched people around, put somebody else up on stage and threw me down in the basement so I could just like move stuff around and not be seen. <laughs> So I learned my lesson and the, the um, stage manager came up and walked me out to my car and said, okay, you need to get all blacks and you need to get a better set of tools and don't ever do this again. <laughs> so, so I did. I have to tell you that, that I wasn't, you know, I was 21 years old. I didn't. And that's where the story, a lot of dancers that they have that in their story, they showed up and they had like the wrong leotard. They didn't have heels. They didn't have makeup. And they were told somebody pulls them aside, like don't yeah. show up again. So we resonate as dancers that show, like hardly anybody was prepared. <laughs> hardly anybody was prepared. No, hardly anyone showed up with the right outfit. There's these stories of what we showed up with because of our naivete and like, oh, I'm so glad that a lot of us got a second chance. So even the stagehands, that yeah, like I love being walked to your car. Like, okay, here's well, what you wear next time. <laughs> I'm sure most most stagehands who like you know lived there knew the rules. I didn't. I had just showed up. I had only been in town for four days, and I didn't know. Yeah. The only thing the union told me was have a set of tools and get a pager. <laughs> I knew back then, <laughs> but at least I knew how to plug stuff in and pull curtains in and out because I'd had enough of technical experience with that so I survived the night <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun but I thought oh my gosh I'm in Vegas and I'm at the FGM and this is so cool okay I'm screwing up but this is so cool yeah. well you're in one of the biggest shows too because hallelujah Hollywood was ginormous so yeah. it just it feels yeah. like wow welcome to Vegas I mean you get the, the the big the sparkle all of it like the definitely epitome of vegas you were right there on your first gig with my 10 cans of soup with your tan <laughs> and your tools that were somehow not sufficient <laughs> so how what did you bounce you bounced for a little while right doing other kind of that same thing where you just show up to fill in for somebody for a while right. about two three weeks uh, the next one after that was uh, doing a movie at caesar's palace for heaven's sakes and i thought oh my god we're doing a movie and it was called pleasure palace and it had hope lang in it and i saw her walking around because i've always been starstruck and it's like oh my gosh i just walked by hope lang and so what we were doing was i guess they call it greens where you go out and you get a bunch of plants and you set them around a pool to make it look pretty and all of that and then we went to a house that had a whole bunch of artwork and they wanted to load it all up. We brought it back and we took all the artwork up to the penthouse because that's where they were going to be filming and they wanted nice artwork. So they borrowed it from this guy that always loans out to studios. And I thought, okay, this is my second day of work in Vegas and I'm in the penthouse of Caesar's Palace. <laughs> hanging wow. Walking past a blank. It's like, okay, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so that was my second gig. And then I paged sound cables for Kenny Rogers. And then I paged sound cables for Liberace. 
and what was it the oh. young americans i think that was what they yeah called. when you say and page I, for people who don't know stage oh, length oh well, can yeah, you explain page, what paging page, is so people... yeah when when you page a curtain it means you take your hand and you move it out of the way so a dancer or a performer can get on stage or off stage that's paging okay and when you see johnny carson when you watch a johnny carson show yeah, and you I... see the curtain come back like yep. that somebody's paging the curtain and when you page sound cables that means that you let out the cable as the performer moves on stage and he sings and then when he walks back off stage <gasps> you pull up the cable again so he doesn't trip on it oh wow. that's paging i've heard it for always- curtain i never i've never heard it for cables this is always good education yep. that's what's going on <laughs> i'm sorry i interrupt i just like okay just so anyone doesn't know what paging is it's like paging so and so because you had a pager so you're okay. So make sure that's yeah. not the same page. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that was. The majority of my cues at the Stardust was paging curtains. Yeah. So how so did I you end it. up at the Stardust? Was that also as a bounce? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a bounce. And they'd had a bunch of trouble with one of the guys down in the downstage right wing area. And he didn't want to show up and do his cues. And they brought in other people and they'd kind of show up drunk. Not supposed to say that, but I just did. Um, and so they wouldn't do the cues. So dancers didn't have any way to get off stage because there was nobody there to page them. So it was like, okay, this is easy. I know the music cues. I know the music of the show because it was a lot of Broadway musical stuff that I knew. Oh, that's like cool. Five, six, seven, eight, page. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh. this is not hard. Well, why can't these guys show up from the back room and do this? So anyway, I the the prop guy gave me all the cues and told me how, what to do with each set and hand on these tusks for the elephant number and hand on these tambourines for the Venetian number and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, this is not a problem. You're going to pay me to do this. This is too much fun. <laughs> okay, oh, fine. So then he said, okay, now these two are magicians. Their name's Siegfried and Roy. And so it's going to be a little more complicated with them. So just pay more attention. It's like, okay. And so they did their stuff and they had their cats and they had this one trunk illusion where they both get in and out of the trunk and make each other disappear and all of that. And they they tie each other up in handcuffs. And at the end of the illusion, they're taking their bows and Roy takes the handcuffs and he swings them and throws them off stage. And so my boss was saying, you got to watch and see where all that stuff lands because it can go anywhere. It could go out in the audience. There might be locks. There might be keys, the chains. You got to keep your eye on it all. I thought, okay, whatever. So there was this big pile of curtains, the mylar, the ball fringe, the main rag, and all these other black curtains. And I kind of tucked myself in between it and I was watching for the handcuffs to be slung off stage. And so Roy tosses them and I catch everything all in one <laughs> thing. It was like the lock, the hawk, the, the locks, the chains, and the handcuffs all in one catch. Wow. And it was just that's what did me in. So they kept, they gave me a callback. And with the union, when you get a callback. It means that they liked you on those cues. The job is open and you're getting called back to keep doing it. Mm. So after a couple of weeks of this, Siegfried and Roy went to my boss and said, who's doing the cues for us in the wings now? And he pointed at me 
and they both looked at me and then they went into the stage manager's office and they said hire her Wow. That's wow. Oh my, okay. So I have a couple things I want to ask. Cause I, I know I saw Alelito in 1979 uh-huh. and I knew now that they're Siegfried and Roy, but I don't, they weren't like Siegfried and Roy, like how, when they got their own show, were they, were they kind of known as the act? Was their name on the, on the billing or were they just an act that people kind of, they weren't really famous yet. Right. Well, they were, they? Famous. well, they were famous in Europe, but they didn't have their billing on that Lido sign quite yet. I think that okay. came in 80, around there. But they were big in Europe. And um, and then when they moved to Beyond Belief at the Frontier, then they were, you know. That was their own show. By, they had dancers. Uh, they, made, they created a whole their show, own right? Show. Yeah. And <sighs> yeah, right. And they took a lot of the illusions that we had at the Stardust and built them into the new show with a lot of new illusions. And that was uh, supported by Kenneth and Irving Fell from Ringling Brothers. And they mm. were there from like 81 to 88. And then they took the show to Japan and I left the Stardust and was able to go with them to Japan for their show in Japan and then onto the Mirage. We're going to come back so. to all that because that's so fascinating because I I told you before we record, it might be one of my stories too. Like when I went to Vegas, I didn't know how to audition. Someone said, just go backstage, ask for a private audition. So I walked right, I just think it's so funny to walk right past security. I guess if we were tall that maybe people thought we were in the show and I walk yeah. right into Siegfried and Roy's dressing room when they're standing there in their G-string, putting their makeup on and they told me where to go, but I didn't know them as Siegfried and Roy, except for I knew their name from seeing the show. But if you're in Vegas, I'm sure they're becoming more and more known. But did, were they just growing as far as their, um, yeah, I don't say, their fame was growing? Yeah, they started at, at, at the, the trop. They started at the trop. They were like what you call a crossover act. And when they're changing a big set in the back and they need some time to move sets around or get all the waterfalls moved away and all of that from the grand. They need a crossover act. And so they might have a juggler, a plate spinner, you know, all kinds of things. And so they were used as a magic act to make time for the stagehands to move big sets around. And so I believe they started at the Trop. Well, actually, they started it on that ship that came over from Paris. But um, they started at the Trop and then they went to the MGM Grand and they were there. And that's where... Lynette Chappelle got involved with them and then she came with them to the Stardust. I think I've heard this story from different angles. It's so fun to hear it from you. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Wow. So you, you became like, that was the state downstage, right. Was, was mostly what you were doing. Was it Siegfried and Roy's act? Were you also doing the rest of Alelito, but still paging the curtains? The whole show. show. Oh yeah. When they were on the whole show. What did that happen? Like, were there, was were the stagehands doing everything or did the acts kind of have their separate or the stagehands, no matter who the act is, you're still doing theirs. Cause I know they sometimes switch those out. You're learning the new act and the stagehands are part of the whole show. They don't just swap them out for like, who's the, who's the, the stagehands are part of everything that has to happen because if it, if it comes on from stage, right, it's me getting the act on. If it comes on from stage left, it's the downstage left guy getting the act on. And then everybody back up stage is moving all the big sets around and and then they had the animal handlers with Sigrid Roy when they were there. They would have to have 
animal handlers come and take the elephants back to their barn and get the cats back to their cages. And then we would have to create pathways for like the mirror ball, the finale steps in the Lido, these big long gold finale steps. They had to be set on one side and moved upstage so that we could get the mirror ball down the ramp and out on stage so that Siegfried and Roy could do their final thing on the mirror ball. And then when they were done, uh, we had like, we had to get that out of the way. And then everybody had to pull those gold steps back down into position and get the lamps plugged in and then get the girls into place. And everybody had to wait for their cue to do all of this. That's like when you were talking about people not showing up for their cues or being drunk, because we were saying earlier, like how there's things that would not go over now as far as L&I or HR, like the, the, the risks that were already yeah. happening. But to think of someone not taking that serious is terrifying to think of how many mishaps that people could die. It's not just like you could get hurt. You could actually die in those shows when there's elevators. If somebody is not paying attention, not taking it serious, like get them out and get Samantha in there because like there's so much dependent on not just how the show runs, but the safety the safety of animals and people. And we actually did have a faux pas and one of the stagehands fell in when the elevator was all the way down, he fell. And we had to stop the show and bring in a crossover guy who just happened to be ready and put him in front of the curtain so that we could get the ambulance in there to get our stagehand out oh and get him gosh. to the hospital. You just never know about stuff that goes on like that, you know? Yeah, one mishap or someone's We're not paying attention. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you, but, those, but it was. Oh, go ahead. But, no, I'm done. Go. <laughs> no, it's just like how it's just like how everything really matters. Every piece, every night could be different. You could have that thing memorized, and one little thing could throw chaos. So I think those of us who were dancers in the show have a, a new appreciation of like what was really going on that we missed because we we're changing our clothes so fast. And right. It would be nice to just sit and watch the show. Like I'm and just watch all the backstage magic of every single thing has to go where it needs to go because the next thing can't move until right. that goes there. Like just how you said it makes me think of like a video game. Like all the pieces have to go in the right order. So I yeah. talked to you like before recorded too, like the love of animals, because for me, I think I told you, I had a crush on the guy that handled the horses. I don't know if I liked him. I just liked the thought of like wanting to be with someone who had tigers. So you were also, you were so excited to be in Vegas to see your first show. And if you're an animal lover and to see Siegfried and Roy, like, I don't know. I imagine I would just be a mess of gush of wanting to just be next to them, but also a healthy fear that these are giant animals that could, like everything I has to never be respected. never had a fear. Oh, okay. Oh, respected and, and honored, but I never had a fear of any of those cats the entire time I worked with all of it, ever. Yeah. No way. I wasn't that close to them at the Stardust, and I was only there for like a couple of years, and then they moved to the frontier. But in Japan, yeah, I was a lot more involved with animals, and I just... I never had a fear and I just one time I got to I had a little perk and we had uh, the new baby white lions that had just arrived from Timbavati and they were in Lynette's dressing room oh and God. she let me come in and bottle feed them and so I got to give one of them a bottle and as she says after you feed him the bottle Yes, my little kitty is hearing about it. Yeah, but last time you talked After about the you cats, you started talking. 
He's chiming in. (laughs) Are you holding them like a baby? Are they like in your arms, like face? Well, first, first, first you start, they kind of sit on your lap and you give them the bottle and then they kind of get all happy. And then they kind of roll over on their back and then they're like on their back and you get to bottle feed them. And then Lynette would say, when they're done with the bottle, give them your thumb because they want to suck on your thumb and then they'll fall asleep. So that's what I got oh to my do. Gosh, you're having a baby tiger, white tiger, white lion. Was a white this lion? Was a white, this was a white lion. Yeah. I remember was, at the this, Mirage, they had the white lions. That was started, a real rare thing. Yeah. Well, white tigers well, are too. Well, they had the, the white striped tigers and they got the snow white tigers. And then about 94. Four, I think they brought in the white lions from Timbabadi. And we went from in the show, it was going from the Rolls Royce coming out on stage with the white tigers to the Jeep coming out on stage with the white lions. And it was about the same time that Lion King had come out. <laughs> and so they were using all of that. Yeah. Will you shush? You take them. <laughs> so at the stardust there was also there was other animals right there i want to go back to siegfried and yes. some more because there's some good stuff but they, they, while yes. you while they when they were gone did they add animals or there's other animals at the same time that the, the big cats were in there um i well we had the elephants that were in the african number That's just crazy. and there was a couple of <laughs> Mm-hmm. oh yeah i gotta tell you about elephant elephant poop yeah that's a good one too um, oh yes so they would have two elephants <laughs> and they would also have they had i think when we did a filming they had a brahma bull and camels i think the elephants had an issue of some sort and the dancers would come out on the camels and go around the passerelle and get off and do their adagio that way but one of the cues that we stagehands had to have Sandy by during the African, because the elephants, they just release big business when they release big business. And so we had to be standing by in those downstage wings with a, a, a garbage bucket and a shovel. And so if they would go and do their big business out on the passerelle, they would come back down the center line and let off the dancers and they would start doing their adagio and we would, they would tank down the nut, the lights on the, on the aisles so that stageheads could get out there and scoop up the poop. And oh my gosh. that's, <laughs> that's why you wear all black too. Cause I'm just picturing, cause you, you have, Oh my gosh, that's a big job. You have to do it quickly and not take any attention away from a beautiful adage. Oh, we had a giant pile of poop is being, we had up. it down. <laughs> we had it down we worked it out with the lighting crew they dimmed the lights and we'd sneak out there and bend over and we had it down and get the poop out of there and take it away yeah. oh my gosh because we had One horses time. in the show and there was poop that like you just don't want to step in it with your yeah. beautiful costume but horse poop is nowhere near the size i'm sure of elephant poop so i'm just imagining like what a mess <laughs> and if you're in a beautiful costume Sorry, I interrupted you. were starting to tell a story. And I, I know a few more I need to ask you so we don't forget while we okay, record. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no. Tell, tell me what you're going to say. That'll make sure I, I bring us back to the other questions. No, it was just, you know, the elephants, we just, we had it down. Everybody cooperated and we had, it was a preset, you know, it, it sometimes it didn't happen. Sometimes it did, but we had to have that bucket and, and the shovel there just in case. 
Do they do the same thing like horses where the tail starts to go up and you're like, uh oh, the tail's going up, run for it? Do they give you any oh, indication? I never. It's a weird question. Tails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking riding a horse and the tail goes up. You're like, okay, here it comes. Yeah, well, so you told you. Can you go back first. to the lions? Oh, yeah. That, Although, yeah. <laughs> but so when you were talking about bone day and for the t- for the egg big cats egg can you tell about yeah. that yeah well this was at the mirage this wasn't at the stardust um they had one day a week where they got bones and one day a week where they got eggs because they were very healthy and those cats had the best vets dr dennis i think was his name but you could always tell the difference in the smell of their big business when it was bone day it was bad <laughs> bone day is worse than egg day oh my god oh, yeah i thought yeah, it'd be the yeah. other way around wow yeah so and you and, also and, oh sorry or, go ahead no no no. you finish i keep interrupting you well i was just that we um when we were transporting the cats the animal handlers would get them into the transport cage we'd have the casters locked and then they'd we'd have the door raised step back and they'd let the cat in and then they'd lower the thing and then we'd have these like blankets of black duvetine that we'd have to put over each end of the cage and then unlock the wheels and then transport them from the illusion on stage back to the cat room. And if you didn't get that floor down on time, you got a golden shower. And oh my was, gosh. If it was a golden shower on bone day, you were toast. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> So were they just, that was time when they got loaded in, it was just time to pee or was it kind of like a marking or do you know why? Yeah, it was all of that. It was just like go and they go, you know? They go and they go. Oh, well that's, ugh. so you also said something that I was happy to hear that the cats were treated really well because oh, gotcha. we know stories of some of the animals that were not treated well. And it's just heartbreaking to think of already making a being show business, but like, well, if they were treated well, so like, how did you see that? Like, what was, what was it that you saw that made you feel they were in good hands? Well, I know that Roy meditated with his cats daily really? and he, he would come into the cat room. This was at the Mirage, not the Stardust. Um, he would come into the cat room and talk to every cat. And when they were all preset on what we would call the big tiger toaster at the end of the show at the mirage did you ever see the show at the mirage no i've only seen videos like half dome oh well we called it the tiger toaster because they had like (laughs) nine elevators i think it was nine and they would as the mirror ball is coming down stage and the curtain is raising all the tigers are lifting up on the on their platforms there's nine elevators in there to for the finale but they had to get preset into that dome at a certain point in the show. And then they brought in this cage so that the cats would just know that they had to sit there for a while and then their their time on stage will come. But Roy never missed going out there and saying hello to every one of them and saying, I love my animals and all that. He would do that. And when we were in Japan, they got Kobe beef. We got sushi, but they got Kobe beef. And they had these wonderful tents and every animal cage had a plant in it so that they would feel at home. Wow. Huh. And they did the same thing at Radio City Music Hall because all the animal cages were set up down in the basement 
I don't know if you're familiar with Radio City Music Hall, but it's got like five levels of elevators. And they, the cats were down in the basement and they had music piped in and plants in every cage. And they had the whole basement floor painted with the cement epoxy so that all the pee would get drained out properly and not affect the basement floor of when we left. But, oh, and whenever he got a, a kitten, he would walk around with it on stage, his cub, or, you know, and he would talk to it and pet it. I just, and whenever they were born at the Jungle Palace, Roy was the first one there. When Sitara would give birth or one of the other big cats would give birth, he was the first one there so that those, those babies, he was the first one they saw after mom. And she allowed that for him to come in and sit down on the hay and be there in that nursery. It was like, never seen anything like it. That's a lot of trust. Yeah. He had, what was the difference of, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> he had a magical way with animals, all of them. Elephant, horses, you name it. Just magical. What was the difference of what Roy did and what Siegfried did as far as like their relationship with the cats? Roy was all about the animals. Siegfried okay. was all about the magic okay huh yeah so Roy took care of the animals and Siegfried he was great at sleight of hand but he would also come up with these ideas for new illusions and so he was the brains behind how to make that work and then Roy would just plug in the animals and everything's happy okay that's that took really a lot interesting. of rehearsal time I bet. Did you ever see any, a creation of a new act as a stagehand? Did they switch anything in the two years that you were there that you saw them put something else in and to see the creation oh, of well, it? Well, when I got, oh yeah, and I helped do one of them. Um, they had an aquarium. And the thing with the aquarium was that a there would be this big, huge, beautiful moth on stage and they would make her disappear. And then she would appear in the aquarium. And then she would disappear in the aquarium and a different creature would appear in the aquarium. And then that would disappear. And then that creature would fly out from the ceiling in the crystal cage and turn into a white tiger. And I built three of those. Wow. wow. <laughs> but That's yeah, really amazing. It was amazing. It was a lot of work, but it was yeah. interesting. Um, but a lot of the illusions um, that went to Japan some of them came from the frontier and a lot of them were new. A lot of them were transformed into different ways to work them. So every day was a learning process of all of that. And then the dancers just had to keep working around it. Okay, we're changing this. So choreography's changing. So we're doing this because the cat doesn't like that. And Medlef can't go here. So you guys are going to have to go there. So it was just, oh my gosh. It was amazing. It was wow. so amazing. <laughs> did you, did, I mean, I'm sure because my cat is just a house cat, has moods. And if a cat doesn't want to do something, did, did they, did you ever see that where cats were just like not having any part of it or act up? Oh, or oh yeah. They, they would watch the cats when they were first born to see where their talents might lie. Because some cats might do better with music. Some cats might do better with confined spaces like being in that mirror ball 
I don't know if you remember the end of the show, but they have the mirror ball that they open it, they light it on fire, they close it, and then a tiger pops out and Roy jumps on it. And then the mirror ball, you know, spins around the stage. They watch for the behavior of certain cats to see where they would best be placed in the show and who might be backups. Because if one cat gets sick or has a problem, need a backup, they need understudies too. Oh my gosh. Cause it could be the day of the show. If one cat's just like, I'm not doing this. They just could switch a cat in there. That's in a better mood. <laughs> or Yeah. Or if they're sick, but they'll try, they try really hard to rehearse. They'll have a special rehearsal time and take the, the understudy cat out on stage and have it do what it's going to do. Um, yeah. So <sighs> takes a lot of rehearsal time, a lot yeah rehearsal time and they would call the animal handlers in early and the stagehands in early to just set up the stage so that they could have that space and if a cat was not going to be cooperative they did not use it in the show they might send it back to the zoo the secret garden and just mm -hmm. let it be back there sometimes they sent some of them back to the cincinnati zoo because they just were not performer cats right so, so one interesting. Of, one of they have my cues that I've. Oh yes, they're everyone different. is different. Oh, they're all different. Oh yeah, one of my favorite cues that I got to do was you never leave a cat alone on stage until SNR come and pick it up or a dancer comes and picks it up and takes it out to go and do the illusion. So one of my cues was to babysit that that big trunk with a black panther in it until the dancer came to get it and it would go and they would do their illusion. And the Black Panther's name was Makuma and he was in his position and he would look up at me and I would blow on him and he loved that and he would purr. The <gasps> Black Panther would oh. purr. <laughs> oh my gosh. How did these dancers get chosen? Because I'd be like, please, please, please let me be the one that gets to be anywhere near these cats. So they walked them out. Did they just present them to Siegfried and Ryan leave or were they part of the illusion? They're part of the illusion. One of the main, um, they had a crew of certain dancers who were specifically trained to know what to do with certain illusions, what you watch out for, how you make sure that everything goes safe. And so I would stand by until one of them came and, and took it out on stage. And then Siegfried and Roy would do their illusion around the animal and it would be a reveal at the last minute. So yeah, I had to make sure he was comfortable and I felt, yeah. I felt better when he was purring. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a really big, important part of it is making sure that that transition yeah. there's, yeah, there's so much more to your job that it's like for the, more about the safety. So when they left, that must have been like boring to not have Siegfried and Reed. I'm sure there's new things. What When they left, how was your, I know you were there, what'd you say, seven more years at the Stardust? Well, yeah, yeah. So I was there from 80 until 88. So after they left, we had a bunch of uh, crossovers. We had uh, the Royal Lipitzon Stallions and we had Fantasy Factory. I don't know if you were familiar with them, but they do a whole comedy blacklight um, routine. And every, it, it, so everything is lit with black lights and they have all of these characters and all of these like Sesame Street costumes that are lit with black light and they have this whole, it, yeah. And so the stagehands downstage, right? Thank you very much. 
we had to wear hoods and gloves and be totally blacked out because we had to push stuff on stage and we could not be seen at all. So that was fun. And then after oh them gosh. came Bobby Barasini. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Barasini was there for a while. And yeah. They're seeing animals. I won't go into that story, but yeah, it's yeah. Like you yeah. hear like how this could go a different direction. So to hear when it's, when it, when they're handled, with love and respect. So yeah. for you as a stagehand, cause I know for dancers, you know, you do the same show. It doesn't change that much. If you're a swing, you mix it, but for stagehands, it's never the same. No. I mean, the dancing might change the tiniest bit of where you are, but you have different acts coming in. That you have to learn a new thing. Well, and there also might be a problem with the music or a dancer doesn't show up or a set doesn't get put in place on time or a prop doesn't get handed out or, you know, all kinds of stuff can happen. It's never the same twice nightly. You know, you get to be so focused on details, whether you're a dancer or a stagehand, at least for me and the music, mm -hmm. you know, listening to the music, that was the key for me to like get my job done was listening to that music. <sighs> I was talking the dressers too. When this song gets yeah. to this chorus, you are back there getting that next thing and how everybody's choreographed backstage. Did oh, yeah. Ali, was that the full run of Ali Lita or were you there for a changeover for shows? Or did no, you stay to the, the end? Full run when I was the full there. run. Did you do the well, full I closing too? Before, I, no, I, well, how did that work? I left in 88. And it closed while I was in Japan with Siegfried and Roy. Then I went to the Mirage, but they had the last final show of the Lido and they did a mock-up. They like rewrote the music and had a mock-up of the show that was really funny. I think I've got it somewhere. Oh, I've um, heard about that. Okay, and I see. When, yeah. Is, when is, is that, that for a regular was, audience? Is that, was that for it, the regular it was audience? For, it was, I don't know how many of us were regular, but it was certainly for everybody who had worked it. Oh, that's wonderful. Because they would have the, um, you know how they'd have the gondolas come out on the, on the passerelle uh -huh. and the girls would be standing there. Well, with this one, they had some of them set up with toilet seats and a guy would be reading a newspaper and another guy would be fishing. <laughs> and <laughs> we got into the audience dressed in all these crazy costumes and they rewrote some of the lyrics. So that song at the end in the finale, it was fascination. I know they changed it to, it was masturbation. I know. <laughs> oh, oh, we had fun gosh. with it. <laughs> that feels fun. like the dream because like there's things you do backstage where you change the words <laughs> or you think what would be funny, but you never get to do it. And you don't get to do it with yeah. these amazing sets and the stage that is that the only show that does that? Cause I've heard that. Maybe it was a star, but Stardust. I heard it. I don't know if other shows get to do that, but what a I don't was Don know. Arden there for that? I've heard there's one oh, that Don Arden got a kick out of that oh, was maybe, changed. But that that wasn't well. I don't know if he was there for that or not. But it was very entertaining, and I got to sit there and watch it. That's not. I didn't have to work it. I got to watch it. So that was really because so as a stagehand, you miss a lot. You don't get to see a lot of the show. You know. Did you see so, the show yeah. at all before you were but a stagehand? Did you ever see it from out front before you started no. work? Oh, no, wow. no, no. I just saw um, bits and pieces when it was televised here and there. You know, sometimes when I was up in the lighting booth, I would get to see it from up there. Oh, wow. It, but um, yeah, but oh gosh, I had so much fun with that show. And one of the stories is um, the 
Pigal, the strip number in the finale. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I learned because I had the dance background, I learned the choreography to that. And I was just standing there in the wings waiting to page people off stage and I had nothing to do. So I would learn the dances. <laughs> <laughs> stage hands, <laughs> the stage hands caught me, and so I would do the strip thing, you know, whoo, all of that, and the bump and grind, and all. I would do it backstage in my blacks, and they thought it was hysterical. <laughs> and then one time, when it, when the management shifted over to the Boyd Corporation, they were giving new management a tour backstage, and they came downstage right from the hallways, and I didn't know they were going to be there, and I was doing my dance. <laughs> And I hit oh. boom, and they're all there's like five men there, managers. I was like, oh, oh. I'm so toast. I'm gonna be so fired. That they came up and they said, Why don't you audition as a as a nude? You're good. I said, because I make better benefits as a stagehand. Thank you very much. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's the best answer ever. Wow. Huh. That's good to know. That was so much fun. There was one story. Well, enough that they know that you guys are like working hard, but also there's those, there is moments to play. There is moments where you guys are not just running around crazy. Once the the number is going right, you guys get a little breather or you're already setting for the next thing. Well, so you sometimes, well, yeah, go ahead. I'm just glad there's fun in there. You mentioned about a snake and I go, that's one thing. (laughs) I got to come back and make sure I ask about the snake because I love snakes, but a lot of people don't. Well, this is uh, two, two snake stories from Japan and the Mirage. So Sherman is the Burmese python that Lynette would dance with and do the snake basket illusion. I believe they had that in Japan. We definitely had it in, at the Beyond Belief. Um, and we were in Japan and they, when snakes start to go blue, do you know what that means? No. Um, they get a blue covering over their eyes and they start to shed their skin. Their skin goes blue and it starts to shed because they go through this quite often. Well, you can't dance with a snake when it's shedding its skin. And you can't dance with a snake after it's had its meal and it has a big bulge in its belly. So they have backup snakes. Uh, swing, swing <laughs> Everybody snakes. Everybody needs an understudy. <laughs> I had never thought of it. And he's got this. Well, Yeah. Yeah, we're in Japan and we have this snake box and Sherman, sweet snake, he was able to pop up the lid enough. It had a lock on it, but he was able to pop up the lid enough so that he could crawl out and he got out and escaped. And we couldn't find him anywhere. So we had to use a backup snake for the illusion. And so Siegfried is like going crazy and we can't find him anywhere. And so Siegfried decides to work it into the show. So he has the stage manager come out with her headset through the ball fringe and interrupt the show and whisper to an aside to Siegfried. And Siegfried, and we have, of course, interpreters there on stage who are going to share what he says. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, it seems that our snake has disappeared and we need to get him back. So would you all please look under your chairs and see if he might be there? So then everybody's like, and so then he says, well, that didn't work. So would everybody stomp and clap their hands really loud? 
and they do and there's still no snake but he goes <laughs> on with the show and he says well i guess that's one way to get a standing ovation <laughs> oh, that's, wow that was smart thinking that was quick thinking oh he was sharp so then the snake showed up two weeks later in the popcorn machine in the <gasps> lobby because that's where it was warm oh my god I okay. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna do one of my side stories because this is. I had it. I worked at a stereo and pet store. That was the weirdest place ever, and they had a boa constrictor that disappeared. And I had moved to Vegas right after. This was in my hometown. I moved to Vegas to audition, and and then I would call back and say, "Have you found the snake?" And it was like about two or three weeks later. Nobody knew where the snake was. Looking all over, and there was. Uh, they heard a scream, and there was a woman who had been looking at the aviary. And the snake had been living in the wall and popped its head out and would just take a bird, like, because they don't eat that often. So they had to pull the wall out because I called. He goes, we found the snake. It's been living in the wall, eating all the birds. But oh. sorry, I just had to tell it because that story is so weird. Makes me think of Vegas, but the popcorn machine. Oh my gosh, I'm just thinking oil. <laughs> wow. Was, so no one saw well, this it was for warm days. Because they, well, the poor woman who ran the popcorn stand screamed and yelled when she came in that night and found her. Oh, God. And if you don't like snakes, that's got to be the most horrifying, so, traumatic experience. Those are not well, tiny snakes. And, and, but, okay, here's snake story number two. Same snake. <laughs> we are now back at the Mirage in Las Vegas. And we, whenever you do rehearsals, we hadn't opened the show yet. And whenever you do rehearsals, you have to do the technical stuff and the music and the lighting and then bring in the dancers and get all that together. And last thing you do is bring in the animals. So we're ready to do the pyramid snake basket illusion thing. And so we do it and we have Sherman the snake there and everything goes fine. And they call lunch and everybody leaves the stage and they turn out all the lights. And I had a broken prop. So I didn't go to lunch. I stayed to fix the prop. And I thought, well, I know Lynette came out of there, but where's the snake? And so I got my flashlight and I went back to the chamber and there's Sherman just popping his little head out of the chamber. And I thought, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Because everybody's gone and the lights are all dark. What am I gonna do? So I went down to wardrobe and I got one of those, you know, those big black pillowcases that you, they collect costumes and hats and canes and yeah. stuff like that backstage. I got, yeah, I got one of those and I walked back over to the chamber and he's just starting to slither down the stairs. And so I kind of eased him into this big black bag because I didn't know what else to do. There's nobody there. And I thought, well, where am I going to go? Well, maybe Lynette's quick change room because that's where his box is. And so it was locked. So then I went into Lynette's backstage kind of apartment dressing room. And I thought, what am I going to do? And so shower. He can't get out of the shower because he can't climb up glass walls. <laughs> so, so I eased him out of the bag into the shower and I gave him a bowl of water and I closed it up and I went back and fixed my prop. And then everybody's coming back from lunch. And I went to Lynette and I said, don't be alarmed but nobody got the snake and I put him in your shower and she goes, Oh my God, we forgot the snake. I, oh my the God. There. And I said, well, just don't be alarmed because he's in your shower. And she said, well, you got the snake. And I said, well, yeah, well, what am I going to do? Let him crawl over the stage. And she said, are you comfortable with that cue? And I said, well, I guess. And she says, you're right there to get me out. Why don't you just make that your cue to get the snake too? 
I said, well, okay, but somebody needs to show me how to handle him. So they brought in the animal handler and they showed me how to handle that Sherman baby. And that was my cue for the next seven years. Oh my gosh. Get that snake out of there. How heavy? Because <laughs> I'm picturing so getting it in the bag, but like just getting there, there that's gotta be really heavy. Right? When you have well, him in the bag with a pillowcase before you get him in the shower, you're just not well, dragging him. Well, it was like seven feet, six feet, seven feet long, something like that. It wasn't that bad. I mean, I'm pushing tigers around. What's a snake? That's true. You know? <laughs> well, so was he just pretty easy with everybody because he was so used to it? And just like, just was, you know, nobody's going to come get me out oh. and find my, my warmth somewhere else? Yeah, pretty much. And he had a little electric blanket in his box. And we, anytime I would pick him up out of the thing, I'd just wrap him around my neck. And I had to go through the puppet army and the dragon and all the cables to get back to the his box. And I'd just say, snake coming through. And everybody would give me a pass. And I'd <gasps> put him back in his little box. <laughs> and that was every show as you would, twice, you would twice nightly. Yes. Oh my gosh. But there are people that were afraid of snakes because I'm oh, thinking yes. of shows that oh, go yeah. through, if you're going past dancers screaming, they must have to control themselves. Well, That's not like a, day, well, a nightly there thing. There was one. There, were, there was one who was absolutely phobic. And so as long as she was dancing there, Hi, Paige. <laughs> I would put Sherman into the black case and take so she wouldn't him that see him. way so that she so she wouldn't see him. But as soon as she left the show, then I just wrapped him around my neck. Yeah. Yeah. You got a little got a picture of it thing going there. <laughs> I got a picture of it on my Facebook page. You got to go look at all that stuff. Oh, I want to. And I'm going to share some of these because I'm, pull, I'm have... holding them. That's wonderful. Because if you like animals, that's a dream. If you uh, don't, that would be like, okay, tigers and elephants and poop and snakes. You got to have to be like open to a lot of things to be in those shows. And we shared um, the, our, our prop department, we shared with the horse stall. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, yeah. That's a crazy <laughs> life. So I have a question. Did, it they, was did, a crazy they, life. did they invite you to come to, to Japan? To specifically well, ask you to come there because you were doing other shows like that seems like a big deal to leave Vegas and go to Japan. It was a big deal. And yeah. I was um, working with their illusion engineer who made a lot of their illusions. And we had been building this aquarium illusion. And one day he said, let's take the day off and go to a concert. And so we went to go see somebody somewhere in Vegas and and I said, you know, I think I've done it all. The only thing I haven't done is a bus and truck. Do you know what a bus and truck is? Yeah, yeah. When you when you take a show on tour, mm -hmm. everybody gets bussed and the and the sets get trucked. And he said, Well, want to go to Japan? And I said, What? He said, They're gonna need a prop person. And he said, You know this aquarium illusion, and you know their show, and you've been working with me on and off all these years. And I said, for a year? And I thought, well, at that point, I was going through divorce debt. Mm. And I thought, this could get me out of divorce debt. But what am I going to do with my cats and my car and my house? So I managed that, got all that taken care of. And then I had to audition for the head carpenter by drawing the head of an elephant that was going to be put on an illusion. It's like, I don't know how to draw. 
And my friend said, well, here's an overhead projector and graph paper. Just kind of copy this onto that on the wall and then you're done. So I did. And, and then Siegfried and Roy knew me from the Stardust that remembered those silly handcuffs. And then I'd been working on these three aquariums. And so they said, yeah, take her. So that's- And you did a year. Wow. Well, that's six amazing. Months, six months Tokyo, four months Osaka, and two months in Radio City Music Hall while the Mirage was being built. Was that their final, the Mirage? Because that's like, I went and that's when they had the dolphin uh, yeah. enclosure and the tiger. That was like their last. And yeah. that, how long did that show run for, the Mirage? For 13 years, I think. Okay, good long it's, run. Yeah, good long run. It was, I think it started like 90 and went through, well, that's more than 13 years. It went through until Roy couldn't, uh, Roy had the accident. I don't remember the exact year, but it was, it was a good run. After the accident, did um, he go back into the act or was it, I, I'm trying to remember my timeline here because that was pretty no, severe. He, he was, yeah. he, he wasn't, yeah. yeah. No, that show, that was 2003. That's when the accident was. Yeah. After that, there was like 300 people that just lost their jobs overnight because the show closed. There was just that was the end of it. No way. Um, wow. That was the end of it. And um, the only thing that they he went through like three strokes. Um, they had to remove part of his skull and put it into his abdomen so that the skull could continue to grow. What they were doing all this brain surgery on him. They did stem cell stuff in Germany. They hired the same um, physical therapist that worked on um, Superman guy, Christopher Reeves. And so, and he had, they had to revamp his living quarters so that he had ramps and he had constant care. And they were able to do one more show, do one more illusion at the Bellagio. It only lasted 10 minutes, but they revamped one of the illusions and had it at the Bellagio and used the same cap that gave him the issue. Really? Really, yeah. I guess the, the trauma that he suffered, but also his love for those cats, that must've been a really hard traumatic healing besides just what his body was going through. He was tough. I think it made Siegfried a lot tougher too. And it made everybody a whole lot more compassionate for what Roy had to go through, but he was a fighter. He worked every day in physical therapy and he got back up there and would go and, and do openings. He went back to the, to the, what do you call it? The Oktoberfest where they have the, the beer things at the yeah. Continental Hotel or whatever it was. And, you know, and he, his arm was a problem. So Roy or Siegfried had to hold his arm or he just kind of kept it, you know, um, confined, but he kept on going kept on going they just couldn't do the show anymore i think i know i was ptsd yeah oh god and anyone who was around to see that i'm sure that that was a lot of probably some good therapy after that to deal with how how that affected anybody who was there because i know when that happened to him i was not the social media thing had not quite been as big as now where i started to find all my bluebell friends but then to see the grief around that and then when um Siegfried just passed to just he, like even being all over the world to see the people grieving because they if they didn't work with them they were still influenced by them if you've worked in Vegas as a dancer Siegfried where you have 
think Brain Roy have actually like impacted indirectly of, of how show business is. And like, I think that loss just, it was, it was, it was beautiful and sad to see the grief around having both of them now be gone. Yeah. They certainly impacted my life. It was magic on stage and magic off stage and opportunities and travel and learning and being able to still be part of my musical theater background and be a techie. And, you know, oh my gosh, it was just a magical run for me. It was just, and the Stardust was just, my gosh. And the crew, it was amazing to work on that crew at the Stardust being the only woman because Mm. I didn't have any Me Too moments ever. Were you treated Mm. well, respected? Oh Oh yes, respected. They taught me, they treated me like their little sister. It's like, here, we're going to teach you how to do this. It's like, no, don't do it this way. Do it this way. And it's like, oh, you want to come in and get some extra work? We're doing a cleaning on this or building on this or whatever. Go down to Union Hall, take some more classes. They were fabulous. That is so good to hear. Because I could see like if like some attitudes could be like women aren't welcome here or because if it is like the quota, like there can be resentment. But I love that that's how you got to experience it. It says a lot about the character of all of you. They were fabulous. And I am still friends with many of them on Facebook. And Aww. we had a big Stardust reunion and a lot of them came to that. And a lot of the dancers came too, back in 2006, I think. A long time ago, but it's yesterday for me. It's just yeah, yesterday. I know. <laughs> this is all like, this can't be that long ago. When I just did this road trip too, and then I was in Reno, I, I saw some people I'd worked with and now I, I hung out with the dressers and they were talking about the close-knit Reno community and then to Vegas that people are still friends 40 years after yeah and their kids know each other that made me so happy because a lot of people went back to their country because it was such an international cast especially you know especially the bigger shows but people went but when they come back for reunion it's a big deal because it's not like you're just you know going to your hometown high school reunion people have to come from everywhere yeah and you share something like I went to my high school reunion it was fine I didn't share, you know, it's different when you're backstage day after day, hour after, you know, like, and you're That's living your together. Family. That's, That's your, your family. Yeah, it's more than just your workmates. And I think I mentioned to you that um, several of the people at that college where I went to went on to Hello Hollywood, Hello and Reno to become stagehands. That's, I might have worked with some of them. Wow. I was in the show 1980, yeah, in the 70s, end of 80. So we're going to come to the end of this, but I do want to touch on, because when we were setting this up, you had two big things that you were in the middle of. So you were still very active in this, in this world. Like you are, what was it? You said CBS was something. Oh, big brother. Yeah. So what the heck? Like, well, my husband, you've got stuff happening now too. Well, it's really not my stuff. It's my husband's stuff, but I'm, I schlep back and forth and help set up. <laughs> really? What does your yeah. husband do? Because he also well, helped us with a Zoom call. <laughs> do, do you ever uh do you ever watch Big Brother? Do you I've only seen parts of it, but I'm familiar. Okay. Well, you know when they have the competitions and the games in the yard and they have to who's going to run the fastest and hit the button and then the the display will say how many seconds they did and all of that. That's what we do. Really? We, re- wow. we, we run out that equipment and we set it up and we strike it. And yeah. And the other thing that he's involved in is he's a stagehand for the um, LA opera, which is just about starting up. So we're still, it's still there. It's in your life. Yeah, that was, it was the LA opera. That's was like, wow, big brother in LA opera. And also that things are coming back too, because like, you know, like yeah. theater being on hold is heartbreaking and we get like, we're going to, 
we're not. We are. And like to see when I was in Vegas, a few of the shows were coming back. I went and saw Legends in concert, which I cried because just being in a showroom again yeah, and getting to see something after like, was this ever going to come back? So just oh, the fact that there's work for like stage hands and performers and all, all, all the arts. All the arts, be, yeah. It's, and I, I go back often. I house sit for people there because now they're like getting out and, and taking vacations and they've got animals and they need house sitters. So, and I'm also involved with the Ren Fair back there. So. So you're back and forth with LA and Vegas. Yeah. So you still get to have that Vegas connection. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's wonderful. I still go back and visit my old house too. <laughs> I bet it's different. So if you were there in 1978, is that the house or when no, did you the buy house, a house? The house was 1984 through 2000. So when, when dancers I knew were buying houses, that's so unreal. Cause dancers usually, you know, you don't get paid well, or if you live in New York, you get paid well, but the rent is so high and Vegas was the place. Like if you can buy a house and what it's worth now, like that was so smart. Yeah. I, I don't think as a dancer, we, anyone even said like, this is something you can do. You just figure I'm going to be a poor performer, bounce around a little bit and then be an adult and then buy a house. So yeah, well, good for you. If I had it to do over, I, I just, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the Stardust. And I think there was one or two other women stagehands there over the years, but I'm the only one that lasted that long. Um, and I, I got to dance in the wings. So I got my dancing yes. stuff out and I still got yeah. the sets and make a good living. So yeah. it was, oh, it was so amazing. It was so much fun. And the guys were so nice and it was just thank you universe you know thank you universe and the same with Siegfried and Roy thank you universe mm -hmm. take care of them up in the heavens with all their animals yeah oh my yeah. gosh uh this is a great way to end I think gratitude I, it's interesting doing the interviews how much gratitude that maybe we had while we were there and then now looking back of like yes I cannot take for granted that I got to do this like because also because that world is not really a possibility for performers like we had it in those no, years so to be grateful like I was born at this time with my legs being this long and, <laughs> and whatever skills we had that we got to be a part of it it's just like the gratitude um yeah I think it hopefully does never run out so thank you for doing this was so much fun because I love animals so every animal story I get so excited but to hear the backstage view and to hear you know the fact that you're putting your thumb in a baby lion's mouth makes me sad <laughs> and wrangling snakes so thanks for doing this i'm excited to share your pictures because you you have a very different um point of view and you're not going to be in feathers and your co and costumes you're going to get to have some backstage pictures that a lot brings back other memories for people what I'll how much fun black. the wings i'll be yes. wearing black <laughs> she up against a black curtain oh there, thank there, you there is a picture of the stardust crew and i'm there on the right and then there's a picture of the snake yeah. So just look for I'm, me wearing black and you'll see. It. And if, if you're okay with me sharing those, Absolutely. Those, those will enhance listening to this to go, okay, now I have a picture. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. I hope that you guys get more and more work as theaters come back. And just so glad that you're still in this business. It's just, you know, and still yeah. passionate about it. That was evident as soon as we got on here and you talked about your heart, soul, and everything about the stage. I went, yes, this is, this is the stories we want. The people that didn't, that loved it. Yes. Definitely. Mm. Well, forever. Yeah. And yep. Yeah, and then when I just think we're all in our in the old age homes, we're going to be telling way better <laughs> stories than anybody else. Like people were think we're making it up when you're talking about 
tigers and snakes, but like now that was actually my true story. <laughs> well, thank you, well, thank you so, so much. much for having me. This was this fun. It was, was an fun. honor. It's, it's really fun to go back in our own memories and go, oh yeah, it really was amazing. It was. We have- thank you for listening to this episode of Bluebells Forever. I'm your host, Sherry Lewis. At the top of the show, you heard Elizabeth Phillips share why she is a patron of Bluebells Forever podcast. A patron is someone who supports the work by giving $5, $10, $20, $25, or $50 per month to really help celebrate that this exists, to help with production costs and the importance of preserving these stories. In exchange for this wonderful support, you get two bonus interviews, which are full length. One is circle back, which I go back and re-interview guests I've had on before to hear more of their story, to go a little bit deeper. The new series we've added is called Bluebell Adjacent. These are stories of dancers who do not work in the Bluebell legacy, but in similar style shows. So just to hear their take, their vantage point of what it was like to be in other shows. There's also a series called Showgirl in Training, where I'm training one of my dancers here in Seattle to get ready to go to Paris to hopefully audition. We're going to go tour Paris and France and see as many cabaret shows as we can. So each month we've been adding a little bit more as we get ready to go to Paris. So there's little short 10 minute interviews with her and hear her progress of what it's like in 2021 to be a cabaret dancer. There's also videos, happy hour with Ann and Sherry, which are pretty crazy with us wearing fancy hats, drinking wine and telling our stories of being showgirls. So if you'd like to support the work, it's greatly appreciated. Otherwise, please keep enjoying all these interviews Every Thursday, we want to bring you more and more stories because these stories matter.